Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Union calendar number 282, H.R. 2372, a bill to provide jurisdiction and procedures for claims to compensate payments for injuries due to exposure to radiation from nuclear testing. June 5th. 1990. The House of Representatives debates the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, also known as RECA. Utah Democrat Wayne Owens sponsored the bill. The haste of building and testing U.S. nuclear weapons led to increased cancers and leukemias and the deaths of hundreds of Americans who trusted their government and participated in what they perceived to be a patriotic duty. For more than 40 years, 1944 to 1986, nearly 30 million tons of uranium ore were mined from Navajo land to make nuclear weapons. More than 200 atomic bombs were set off at the Nevada testing site. Called Doomtown, the buildings and their contents will test the effect of the bomb at distances ranging from one to two miles. The extent to which food will be contaminated by radioactivity will also be studied along with the effect of blast on communications. Well, those tests spread toxic radiation throughout the region and across state lines. Most residents and the workers weren't warned of the dangers. Many Navajo people fell sick and died. And the effects of that radiation exposure persist to this day. The first bill setting up a compensation plan for the workers was proposed back in 1979, and it took more than a decade to pass. That brings us back to 1990, where, with bipartisan support, RICA made it through Congress and was signed into law. Republican Representative Barbara Vukanovich of Nevada. Legislation and money can never right the wrong, restore lost family members, or make these victims victimless. However, it can help make life a little easier. Mr. Speaker, I urge my colleagues to support this measure and support the closing of an open chapter in the sometimes unfair and unfortunate history of our nation. RICA provided a one-time lump sum for workers sickened by the uranium mining. A decade later, amendments added more people, including uranium millers and more downwinders, to the list of beneficiaries. Now, more than 20 years have since passed, with no further amendments. And now, that compensation fund is set to expire this July if Congress does not act to extend it. People, or their living heirs, sickened by Cold War-era radiation exposure, risk losing coverage for their health expenses. So lawmakers are again faced with the very question posed by Republican Representative John Rhodes III of Arizona back in 1990. How do we respond when the federal government injures its own innocent citizens and the courts are not equipped to provide an adequate remedy? We did not know anything about this hazardous material or didn't even explain it to us. And now half of those miners are dead. Some of them were still young. Leslie Begay lives in Coyote Canyon, New Mexico, on the Navajo Nation. He was 21, had served in Vietnam, when he started working in the uranium mines in 1983. It was just, you know, the rain jacket, safety glasses, and a hard hat. 
that's it. That's all we had. Nothing else. It wouldn't even matter. Even if you're wearing a space suit, they'll still get on you. No face masks, no gas masks, no oxygen tanks. The mining shafts had little to no ventilation. So the miners constantly inhaled toxic dust and air. Leslie was even drinking the water from the mines, never knowing it was dangerous. He worked in uranium mining until 1991. Almost a quarter century later, in 2015, he felt that something wasn't quite right. So we went to the hospital, and uh, right away, you know, they noticed that I, there was a problem with me. They sent me to Albuquerque. There was a lung doctor that noticed that I had serious problems. They've asked me many questions, see if I was smoking, see if I was go on drugs. I said, no, I haven't. I've never done those things or drinking, you know. I said, but I have work in the uranium mine. Doctors informed Leslie that radiation exposure could have severely damaged his health. It was the first time he'd ever been told this. Days later, at age 60, Leslie was diagnosed with interstitial lung disease. The lung scarring, difficulty breathing, getting oxygen into his blood are all irreversible. The most common cause of ILD is long-term exposure to hazardous materials. Leslie was given medication and oxygen tanks. You know, there's time that, you know, I have to hook up both of them. You know, I used to carry two of them two of them to keep my oxygen level that high. I used to go through... 42 bottles a week. I used to go through 42 bottles a week. That's 42 bottles of oxygen a week. Leslie sees a lung specialist every six months, but the closest specialists to the Navajo Nation are three to six hours away. None of Leslie's doctor visits, medication, and oxygen are covered by RICA, that congressional law. He does not qualify for federal compensation, simply because of when he started working in the mines. According to the statute, only those exposed to radiation between 1944 and 1971 qualify, even though uranium uranium mining continued for another 15 years. Leslie started mining in 1983. I just don't see any difference of what they have done before as far as protection-wise. There was no more no add-on than what the past people have done. None, not whatsoever. I could see if it was, you know, a, a full suit, you know, maybe with the oxygen to breathe better air. That could have been the work all right. Yeah, none, none of that. I mean, the past miners and us miners, there's nothing different that has changed. Nothing. We did what they did. Congress created the eligibility cutoff because... In 1971, the federal government was no longer the sole purchaser of uranium extracted from the mines. Therefore, lawmakers saw the government as no longer solely accountable for worker health. Leslie Begay thinks that's a weak excuse. In September, he received a double lung transplant. He's recovering but has to take 20 pills a day. And without health benefits from the VA, recall, he served in the United States military in Vietnam. Without those VA benefits, he could have never afforded the treatments. Even with that coverage, though, Leslie says he's barely getting by. 
I don't know why the government thinks of us so low that like we're nothing, you know, that we didn't do nothing. We provided them this warhead, you know, and stuff like that. We're somebody. We are somebody. And we're, and we're being forgotten. I don't know how to, you know, get into an avenue for them to hear us, our situation. We're talking about uh, uh, human lives. I think about my people, you know, I think about people that have lost their father, you know, their brothers and so on that were still dying off of it. I'm paying like close to 700 a month on my medication. I'm down to like nothing, you know. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm down to like nothing now, you know. And nobody to help me, nobody to support me. I mean, like what we're all going through. And I hope they, you know, that they would understand us and we're gonna give us what we deserve. This is a long time overdue. Leslie Begay. He's 67 now, and with his new lungs, he plans to fly to Washington later this month to advocate for RICA coverage for all post-1971 uranium mine workers. Now, joining us is Phil Harrison of Kirkland, New Mexico. He's advocated for compensation for these communities for over 40 years. He's the former president and now senior consultant of the Navajo Uranium Radiation Victims Committee and he joins us again from Kirkland, New Mexico. Mr. Harrison, welcome to you. So, folks, uh, as you can hear, today we have been having some significant uh, technical troubles. I'll be perfectly honest with you. In the hour before our show, uh, we had some Internet breakdowns and failures, and those seems to have spread to actually our control room, where our mic isn't working, our uh, our music is <laughs> acting uh, erratically, and we can't connect. But we're going to take a quick break here. We'll talk a lot more, if we can, and I trust we'll be able to, when we come back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for On Point comes from BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com OnPoint today to get 10% off your first month. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And if you ever doubted that this show is done live, doubt no more. Our terrific team uh, behind the glass in the control room has, for now, fixed all, like, the entire gamut of technical problems. But 
Let's get back to the reason why we've all come together today, and that is to talk about the fight for compensation uh, for the long-term health effects of high amounts of radiation exposure suffered by the Navajo people due to 40 years of uranium mining uh, on Navajo land in order to build nuclear weapons. So Phil Harrison joins us. He's former president and now senior consultant with the Navajo Uranium Radiation Victims Committee. He's advocated on this issue for more than 40 years, a member of the Navajo Nation, and was also an underground uranium miner. He's with us from Kirkland, New Mexico. Mr. Harrison, welcome to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And also with us today is Amber Crotty. She's joining us from Sheep Springs, New Mexico, on the Navajo Nation. She's been a Navajo Nation Council delegate for eight years. Ms. Crotty, welcome to you. Going to still work on that one. Okay. So, so Mr. Harrison, first of all, can you describe to us, um, you know, how many members of the Navajo Nation have uh, suffered health impacts or how broad are the health impacts from um, those 40 years of uranium mining and testing, by the way, on Navajo land? Yes, um, I'm not sure. Uh, the, the last time that we talked about this was like about um, a little over 5,000 uh, Navajo uranium workers that participated in, in either uh, mining or milling. And the um, Public Health Service uh, has studied like about 740 Navajo uranium workers. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how many we're talking about that had engaged in, in this, uh, the Cold War efforts. So uh, uh, people had different representation, uh, by some by attorneys and some by the tribal office and some by individuals. So we really don't know uh, how many uh, miners had uh, done mining. I see. Now, you also worked in the mines. Um, how long did you work there? I was uh, a high school uh, uh, in my senior year. I worked uh, down in um, a place called Gateway, Colorado, uh, up the John Brown uh, Canyon. And I worked like four months, and I was helping my father uh, underground and if I was not uh, cleaning the tracks, I was helping the, uh, the drillers and uh, replenishing supplies that they use. So I, I did work like about four, four months on the ground and uh, my father got sick. And then I, I went left from there and I enlisted in the military and I came back and uh, worked uh, a remediation site in Tuba City under Department of Energy for almost two years. Uh, being exposed to uh, surface uh, re re uh, contaminated materials. Uh huh. Okay. So uh, you know, in the in the previous segment, we briefly told the story of um, how Congress passed RECA in order to create a system of compensation for uh, people who are suffering from the effects of. Um, of the radiation uh, uh, you know, poisoning, essentially, of their of their bodies. But even before that, I mean, there was this long battle in order to get the federal government to recognize that some kind of compensation was necessary. Can you tell us a little bit about um, you, you had originally worked on a on a case, the a lawsuit against the federal government? What in the early nineteen eighties to, you know, to get um, th that recognition? Can you tell us that story? Yes, I, um, I got involved um, from a community meeting where members of the Red Valley chapter and they uh, 
uh, northeastern state of Arizona. There is there is a community uh, chapter house there. So the issue came out uh, back then. The, the late Stuart Udall was the attorney, and they created a lawsuit called Begay versus Kermit Gay, and that honestly it didn't go anywhere. So the focus turned on the congressional efforts uh, back in the late. 70s and into 80s so it was uh it took a lot of years to create that first compensation law in 1990 hmm. okay so then tell us um exactly what is going to happen um this summer in July with Rika that um uh, could have an impact on on so many people First of all, uh, we have uh, worked behind the scenes, uh, working with uh, the local uh, leaders, the state, county, and um, Southwest uh, congressional offices. There's two things that we're trying to do is uh, we're trying to extend the um, the sunset of Department of Justice in Washington, uh, which expires July of 2022. And uh, uh, we worked on that first. And now that we have heard that, Today, the uh, House of Representatives will be voting on that. So we'd like to see that be extended because of the, of the coronavirus where many of these miners and downwinders, uh, they were not being seen by uh, the, the hospitals. There was no appointments and not everybody just sheltered in place. So we lost a, a good two years. And that's the reason why that, that we wanted this extension. So we, we do have a a good excuse for the, for this to happen. Mm. Secondly, is that we want to uh, stay focused to to amend the um, the RICO Law 2000 to include uh, people like post 71 workers, and uh, that is a big focus right now. And we we want to see that happen. Uh, it's taken us a long, long time, and, and there's got to be some empathy from the U.S. Congress, you know, to get this done for first responders during the Cold War. I see. Okay, so first of all, the interruption that uh, the COVID pandemic brought in terms of people's ability to access care. On that note, uh, Mr. Harrison, uh, let's listen to Jennifer McCall. She's a senior paralegal who deals with all RICA claims for a law firm in Grand Junction, Colorado. And she says her clients have been calling in a panic, trying to get paperwork filed before, again, the July 11th sunset date for potential sunset date for this legislation. Um, And she says that because of the pandemic, the required paperwork for many of her clients has been more or less impossible to get. I think it's a horrible time for it to end. I don't think it's fair to these workers. It's not fair to the downwind on-site people. It's not fair to them that because a law that was enacted is all of a sudden going to stop when we've got over two years of time that we weren't able to file claims. We weren't able to put them together. I've got a couple sitting here on the desk that are just coming together now. And I've had these clients for some time. A lot of times it takes, it just takes time to get everything put together. And now with with the government not releasing records like we need, I think they should at least give us two years extension on it, if not five. 
Again, she's talking about two to five year extension um, on uh, the RICA legislation, which is set to sunset on July 11th. And by the way, Jennifer McCall told us that 400 of the claims she's trying to manage right now are from members of the Navajo Nation. Well, let's turn to Amber Crotty, who I believe we finally do have now, a Navajo Nation council delegate for eight years. Ms. Crotty, welcome to you. Uh, Yate, thank you. This is um, Amber Kanesbakrati, and if I may introduce myself um, to my relatives, Kia Ani Nishle do Bulagana Bashishin Deschini do Thank you very much for um, providing an opportunity for us to speak about our efforts when it comes to the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, mm. also known as RICA. Well, Amber's joining us from Sheep Springs, New Mexico, on the Navajo Nation, and um, you know, I, we need to spend a little bit of time talking about really the extent of the health impacts that the uranium mining and the nuclear testing have had intergenerationally, because I'm seeing some pretty, uh, you know, uh, extraordinary numbers, studies that show that more than 35 percent of Navajo men, more than a quarter of Navajo women uh, in Navajo Nation have concentrations of uranium, for example, in their bodies that exceed uh, any level found in the highest 5% of people exposed in the United States. Now, I I mean, there's also been other studies, like um, a, a birthing cohort study. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about that, Amber? Yes, thank you. Um, so in our efforts uh, on Navajo Nation and how we look at um, the impact of not only uranium extraction, Uh, the direct impact on our uranium miners. We know, um, and and through the stories of, like you heard from Leslie, that these miners were not equipped to protect themselves. And so when they returned home to their families, their families were then exposed. We have homes that were built with radioactive material. Um, We have children of um, miners and surviving spouses who now have... um, trace elements of of uranium in in their bodies. Uh, We can now see at a very cellular level how this has impacted um, the the composition of a Navajo um, uh, body. And uh, what we're looking for in terms of not only talking about um, the severe health disparities uh, of our Navajo miners themselves, but also the surviving spouses, their children, and how we're seeing um, that this legacy of uranium did not end in 1971. Mm. Um, th- and we continue to, to need to provide that for the families. So can you tell me a little bit more than, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but to, be, to make it clear for listeners, um, the coverage, the eligibility coverage stops for uh, after 1971 in terms of miners who, who worked in the mines uh, until 1971. Who else is currently eligible? So in terms of some of the downwinders, what we're finding are certain states were selected. And what is a concern to Navajo Nation is parts of our territories is in the New Mexico side of the nation. And um, those relatives who have shown and we've demonstrated, we have open uranium mines, we have... um, Uh, downwinders from uh, the explosions that have happened uh, to not have our New Mexico um, citizens and and Americans and and Navajo Nation uh, citizens be covered under 
this Compensation Act is a real disservice. And those are areas where our congressional leadership needs to understand there are segments of our population that have not been covered, have not been justly compensated, and not have been able to access the medical relief um, that is needed for for these um, for their recovery. And hopefully, you know, to end and and get the medical help that they need um, to, to live to live a life that we all aspire to. Mm. Well, so we we've spoken to a number of people to help give us uh, as broad an understanding of the health impacts. I mean, Amber, you mentioned the intergenerational impacts with babies being born already with evidence of uranium exposure in their bodies. Well, we, we also spoke with uh, Caitlin Kelly Reef, an epidemiologist at the U.S. National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, or NIOSH. She's the principal investigator of several chronic disease studies involving workers who are exposed to ionizing radiation. And she recently did a study on a group of uranium miners from Colorado who worked in the mines from 1950 to 1960. And her team looked at the death rates of the uranium miners compared to death rate statistics of U.S. males alive uh, and the sa- uh, at the same age and at the same time as the miners. So she took a look at lung diseases that were non-malignant. She looked at interstitial pulmonary fibrosis, which, by the way, Leslie Begay has. You heard from him earlier. Um, she also looked at pneumoconiosis and silicosis. Okay, so from the study period between 1960 to 2016, she found that the interstitial pulmonary fibrosis rate, the mortality rate for uranium miners, was 380% higher than the rest of the population. For pneumoconiosis, it was 3,800% higher. And for silicosis, it was 4,040% higher. And Kelly Reef says, obviously, these results are staggering. I think the main public health takeaway from our study is that uranium miners are still dying of these compensatable diseases, and the data suggests that uranium miners will continue to die of compensatable diseases after RECA ends. After RECA ends, and Kelly Reef also says that one of the major takeaways is that there's a latency period, a long latency period between the exposure to the uranium radiation and the emergence of health impacts. Well, we also spoke with Doug Briggy. He's the author of The History of Uranium Mining and the Navajo People, a report that was published in the American Public Health Journal back in 2002. And Briggy concluded, quote, this history details how the federal government deliberately avoided dealing with a health disaster among Navajo uranium miners, even though uranium mining was considered very much a federal matter. It was obvious decades before mining of uranium for atomic purposes began that uranium mining was hazardous. It's also clear to me that the cause, the reason why it was hazardous was apparent right at the start of the atomic age. And from that flowed a logical conclusion, which is to reduce the radon exposures, mostly through ventilation, that wasn't done very well until very late, and that contributed to the particularly high toll paid by uranium miners in the early stages of the atomic developments. And more specifically, Briggy's report states, quote, federal regulations for ventilation came nearly 20 years after the need was clear, and only when many miners were obviously sick and dying. Phil Harrison, do, do you want to respond to that about this long period of 
essentially knowledge uh, on the uh, on the part of the federal government of the health effects and the long period between that and at least some of the actions that have been been taken. Yes, um, a lot of um, I'm involved with uh, hundreds of former uh, Navajo uranium workers and and other people. A, a lot of them say that um, they were not warned. Uh, about the dangers and serious consequences of being exposed to mining and milling. And uh, I mentioned earlier that I work underground for four months and I was just given a shovel uh, and, and told to keep the tracks clear and help the drillers. And nobody told us, uh, nobody told me how dangerous this is going to be. And I, I drank water every day. It was a uh, uh, almost a homemade cistern system that that was existing in these mines where where you uh, just go there like a water fountain and take two or three cups of water and then go back to your workstation. And uh, this has been going on for uh, pre-71 and post-71. The post-71 miners are telling me that there's there's no uh, 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 clean mine and seven post 71 mines hmm. and uh, they, they were very dirty and um, people were sent to daylight when they were told that they were exposed uh, with their working level right. months. Well, Phil but, Harrison, stand by here for just a second, if you could please, and Amber Crotty as well. We're talking this hour uh, about the ongoing effort to uh, guarantee and expand coverage for the long-term health effects suffered by members of the Navajo Nation due to 40 years of uranium mining on Navajo land. This is On Point. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today we're talking about the ongoing efforts to both preserve and expand what's known as the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, or RECA. It's a 1990 law that finally got around to providing compensation and aid for members of the Navajo Nation and people who used to work in the uranium mines on Navajo land that were, for 40 years, pulling uranium out of the ground in order to make nuclear weapons. Now, Democratic Senator Ben Ray Lujan of New Mexico is one of the main advocates for RECA expansion. By the way, again, as we mentioned earlier, RECA is set to sunset uh, July of this year. A vote may prevent that sunsetting, but advocates are looking to expand who gets coverage. Now, Lujan introduced legislation on this issue every session since he first took office in 2009. All his efforts have so far so far failed. Now, Lujan's father died of stage four lung cancer because of an exposure on the job as a welder. And the stories he hears from his constituents keep him fighting, including one he likes to share with his fellow colleagues. I often tell them about a story of an elder Navajo woman who came to testify in Congress and shared the ailments her families were facing. 
But her testimony, I think, is as powerful as anything I could tell them. And what she asked us as uh, elected House members is, is the federal government waiting for all of us to die so that the problem goes away? Well, many of his constituents that he's worked with on this issue have died. This session, Senator Lujan tried again and introduced another RICA expansion uh, proposal, but it never made it to the Senate floor. He also co-sponsored legislation to extend RICA for two years after its July sunset date. And as we heard earlier, the measure unanimously passed the Senate uh, in April and is up for a vote in the House this week. But if the extension doesn't pass, Lujan says a door for the families affected will be closed forever. Without the United States stepping forward to recognize that families sacrificed so very much at a time that the United States depended on the development of these uh, weapons, then uh, some of these families, they're going to die at a faster rate. They're not going to have resources to take care of them or avenues to pursue to uh, help not just themselves, but their families. And again, uh, it's plain to me that this is an issue that was created by the United States government. The United States should admit liability here and extend the program. By the way, when he says it was created by the United States government, the history of this is tragic and fascinating. The Manhattan Project actually formed a front company. They called it the United Mines Development Corporation when they were first searching for places to pull uranium out of the ground. Uh, It was, again, a front company because no one was supposed to know about it. Uh, and they found it on Navajo land. Now, Lujan has an even bigger goal, expanding coverage to include more uranium workers, more downwinders, as well as additional qualifying illnesses to really cover the true extent of impact from radiation exposure. But he keeps getting pushback on one thing, the cost. Now, the biggest opposition to this legislative session came from Republican Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio. So here he is in a House Judiciary meeting on the expansion bill back in December. This bill also more than doubles the compensation paid to certain existing claimants, likely costing taxpayers more than $2.8 billion. And that's before anyone in the newly covered areas receives any compensation for medical benefits. And here's how Senator Lujan told, told us he responds. Well, let's go travel to New Mexico and you can visit with those Navajo elder women and you can tell them to their face that this is too expensive. You know, no one's taking me up on that offer, but it's one of those areas that unfortunately, I think politically, especially we've seen a lack of willingness to support and sometimes outright initiatives to block this particular legislation. Whereas Congress, both Republicans and Democrats regularly show a willingness to support and spend vastly more in other areas related to defense. Recall, the uranium was mined out of the earth on Navajo land to build weapons. Navajo people have been sickened doing that work and their families on behalf of national security. So here's another way to look at it. In the 32 years since RICA passed, the government has awarded $2.5 billion on approved claims for people suffering radiation exposure due to the mining and its impact. So again, $2.5 billion total over more than 30 years. Whereas just last year, Congress readily approved $4.9 billion for just one year of spending on intercontinental ballistic missiles, more than $10 billion on ballistic submarine missiles. Again, that's almost $15 billion for two missile systems for a single year. And it's a figure that will likely continue to be approved year after year until the weapon systems are retired. 
So Senator Lujan is frustrated, but he's optimistic as well. Since he entered Congress in 2009, RICA expansion legislation has more co-sponsors today and bipartisan co-sponsors than ever before. So he does make one thing clear. Future uranium mining projects and even cleanup from past uranium mining should not happen, he says, until RICA expansion goes through. During those debates, I said, what about the cleanup that needs to take place with someone fighting for their lives with cancer? No one's talking about them. That's why I think that whether we're talking about cleanup, storage, or, or new projects, RICA needs to be addressed, and these families need our help. And, and that should be front and center for anyone. And folks that have come talk to me, that's how I start the conversation and often how I end the conversation. Democratic Senator Ben Ray Lujan of New Mexico. We spoke with him earlier this week. Uh, Amber Crotty, if I may return back to you, first of all, just to make something clear to listeners, um, uh, Senator Lujan talked about cleanup. The EPA is at work uh, doing cleanup of, of, of some of the sites of, of known high levels of uh, uranium radiation. Is, is that right, Amber? Uh, yes, we've we've received some um, some activity when it comes to the cleanup efforts. Uh, I represent communities that have been directly impacted. What the challenges and and the conversations that are still taking place is what do we do with that radioactive material? And um, so we we've had public meetings, and the public and the community are saying we do not want these radioactive materials left in our homelands. We want them safely removed. Um, they're contaminating our water, our livestock, our plants, our way of life. And we continue to have that conversation. Um, but it's only a minimal amount of mines that have been identified. There's still hundreds more than the 500 um, uranium sites that still have not been cleaned up. And uh, that is still what we're pushing for in providing this public awareness on how the legacy of uranium has impacted the Navajo Nation and how, um, and I appreciate Senator Lujan's words, is what can, what do we need to do as a nation to recognize that the sacrifice of national security and the sacrifice of nuclear power has come at a human cost and that human, um, that, that Navajos are human, that the people of the land are human, and that we need to correct this. Mm. Phil Harrison, um, it's, we heard about you know cost being one of the primary reasons why there's resistance to expanding uh, the legislation or, or uh, eligibility for compensation. But also in the original legislation from 1990, that that cutoff date of 1971, I, I want to explore that a little bit more because um, you know the federal government argues after that it was no longer the sole purchaser, right, of the uranium being mined out of the ground. And so, therefore, I wonder if are there um, other efforts right now to to seek compensation for uh, from the other companies that were involved in the continuing extraction uh, of uranium? And um, has there been any uh, any effort or any successes on, on that front? For all I for all I know, I think there is a um, uh, uh, a big effort that's um, being worked on by several groups that includes the Utah and Idaho, Montana downwinders. And I think everybody's focusing on uh, expanding the uh, the two for two years with the Rika sunset and also focusing on the uh, amendment. And uh, I, I'm not sure there was uh, 
workman's compensation that was mentioned for post 71 workers and uh, nobody knows about workman's compensation and the statute of limitations have run out on a lot of these post 71 minors. So I'm, I'm not sure if there was uh, any other efforts, but right now we're uh, focusing on trying to get this law amended and uh, hopefully that will be in Washington soon to educate and be and provide expert witnessing to some of our uh, Republican leaders in the House House side. So that's coming forth soon. Hmm. Uh, Amber Crowdy, I wanted to give you a chance to also respond to that. That do you see the circle of accountability as being wider than the federal government? I think as a Navajo Nation and and just speaking specifically to our unique relationship with the government um, as as a treaty tribe and the government being our trustee that. Our our efforts right now is focused on the U.S. government in their role in in contracting. Um, if you don't know the history of Navajo Nation, uh, the the federal government plays a large part in um, in developing these contracts for um, for the Navajo Nation when they explained it to our tribal council and and the language barriers. So at no point were we fully free um, informed consent. And without um, understanding uh, the impacts and, and the devastating how how uranium impacts the human body and the land and the water that was known at the time, uh, the federal government and their agents um, brought this initiative to Navajo Nation and did not fully provide the pro- uh, protection. And so we look to the government um, as as the sole responsibility and um, the and the entity that needs to correct this. Hmm. I wonder, you know, when when the Cold War, quote unquote, ended, did do you feel that that uh, the urgency around you know the attention that was paid to nuclear weapons to um, then and also therefore the health effects suffered by the people who worked to get that uranium out of the ground? just kind of faded away and um, it became, I don't know how to put this, but I, so forgive me if I'm putting it the wrong way, but like in the eyes of the federal government, it just sort of, be, it became a quote unquote Navajo problem. And and that is that one of the things that's made it hard to uh, to expand um, the true circle of, of, of coverage for, for how many people have actually suffered an impact here. Right. So I appreciate that. And it's not just a Navajo problem. This is an American problem. Right. Um, because this also not only um, the, the amount of impact on Navajo is this layered uh, because of the uranium, the impact on the miners, the, uh, you know, not having the adequate medical attention, not having the education on how this will impact our children, um, knowing now that when our children are born, there, there's complexities and not having the support um, in our education system to help those families. But it's also a regional. And I think hearing, um, you know, the representative from Ohio is is understanding that he and his constituents benefited from the sacrifice that was hap- that happened here on Navajo and surrounding miners, like in grants and um, working with Senator Crapo and the downwinders, and that that has a human um, aspect to it. And uh, in terms of just looking at what is the just compensation, what is the investment in the medical field to make sure that they're not suffering. My grandfather's uh, a, a surviving uranium miner. 
and to see him struggle and battle for every breath, it's offensive that congressional leadership would not understand. And I'm not looking for empathy. I'm looking for justice. Hmm. I'm looking to for that our nation that we entered into a treaty with to to live up to their treaty obligation and for those other non-Navajo minors in different states and their families to get what they need. Yeah, because I'm glad that you, you made that uh, that point just now, Amber, because, again, just, just to really talk about the extent of the mining uh over those 40 years, we've been focused on the Navajo because, you know, more than a thousand of the mines or claims mm-hmm. were on are on Navajo land. But there were 4,000 uranium mines total across the western United States affecting other tribes like the Hopi, uh, Arapaho, mm-hmm. Southern Cheyenne, the, Spok- the, the Spokane, uh, the Laguna Pueblo as well. So this is a, a broad problem um, impacting many, many people and many tribes as well. Phil Harrison, we've got uh, not that much time left, I'm afraid. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, our, our, uh, is there a coalition among, between all, all the tribes to, to, to continue, continue to advocate for, um, for the compensation? Yes, uh, for all the years that I have uh, done this um, advocacy for um, the Cold War victims. There is uh, a coalition of uh, other uh, tribes that we reached out to, and they're, they're all in the same struggle. And I think we're all focusing on, you know, what, what uh, the problem that needs to be corrected. And federal government has the liability, as Amber said, that, you know, there's, they have this treaty application, obligations. And, um, you know, yeah, we are all working together to, uh, to get this whole thing uh, corrected for justice. Yeah. And, you know, one more thing. As far as I understand, I keep thinking um, about what Leslie Begay told us earlier, that it wasn't until he was 60 years old and a quarter century past the time he worked in the mines that someone first told him that radiation exposure could be, uh, you know, deadly, essentially. But the federal government had studied it and documented the dangers specifically regarding the mining, right? And, And kept it secret. Is that right, Phil? Like I said, uh, nobody was ever told about the serious consequences of uh, being uh, exposed to radiation, uh, either in mining or milling. And people at the same age, uh, they did not engage in mining. They're healthy. In my community, we have over 400 men that died. This is uh, back in Cove, Arizona, uh, where the mining boom was 1950 to 1966. And we lost over 400 men from that community. Well, Phil Harrison, former president and now senior consultant with the Navajo Uranium Radiation Victims Committee, with us today from Kirkland, New Mexico. Mr. Harrison, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And Amber Crotty, a member of the Navajo Nation Council, uh, excuse me, she's a council delegate for the Navajo Nation, with us from Sheep Springs, New Mexico. Amber Crotty, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for just helping us amplify this story. Thank you. And once again, the House is set to vote on whether or not to prevent the sunsetting of the RICO legislation this week. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. <laughs>